Welcome to Distrust and Disparities, Dismantling Black Health Disparities podcast. We examine health disparities that disproportionately affect Black women and Black families. In addition, we amplify organizations and individuals working to dismantle racist health practices and systems to improve health outcomes for marginalized communities. I'm your host, Jasmine Moore, a registered nurse, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Camille White. Like I said, I call it the wonder drug. And for people that know that they're at risk, that's why education is so important. Because if we don't perceive risk, we don't understand that we should be getting tested and that PrEP is an option. You no longer have to wait for the diagnosis. You can get ahead of it. You could prevent the disease. In this episode, we interview the co-founders and chief clinical officer of Healthy MD. Healthy MD is a Black-owned sexual telehealth startup working to address the stigma around STIs and provides innovative solutions to get the most vulnerable communities tested and treated. Welcome back to another episode of Distrust and Disparities. We're glad you guys are here joining us. And June is Pride Month. The word pride is an integral cultural concept within the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex community, and it represents solidarity, collectivity, and identity, as well as resistance to discrimination and violence. And Pride Month is dedicated to uplifting the voices of LGBTQI plus community, and also as a celebration of their culture and also the support for their rights. On this podcast, we like to have those difficult and uncomfortable conversations, and we like to get to the root of the stigma and address the issue head on. In recent years, not too much focus or media attention has been shed on the steady rise of sexually transmitted infections, STIs. When we share the statistics and prevalence of STIs, you're going to be wondering why we are not discussing this silent epidemic. According to the CDC, an estimated 20% of the U.S. population, so that's approximately one in five people in the U.S., has an STI on any given day. And of course, extreme disparities exist. Individuals between the age of 15 to 24 have the highest rates of new infections. Black And Latinx people have higher rates of STI infections compared to white people and also tend to have lower rates of diagnosis and treatment. Additionally, statistics show that men who have sex with men, whether they identify as gay, bisexual, or other, have a higher risk of contracting an STI than any other demographic. These are just some of the statistics that we want to point out. The numbers are very alarming and more attention needs to be focused on the spread of STIs and sexual education. The good news is there are proven treatments and prevention methods for some of the most commonly spread STIs. We just need to get this information out there and reduce the stigma surrounding STIs. So, We have brought in experts and trailblazers here today to talk about how they are working to tackle this silent epidemic, especially amongst the most vulnerable populations. 
We have not one, but three guests here with us today. We would like to welcome the leadership team of Healthy MD. And Healthy MD is an organization that provides nationwide end-to-end solutions for sexual health testing and treatments that connects patients to live personalized care, all from the privacy of their homes. We have with us today Clifford W. Knights, the CEO of Healthy MD, Steve Vaximar, the COO of Healthy MD, and Dr. Kishma Victor, Chief Clinical Officer of Healthy MD. And to start the conversation, we'll start with Dr. Victor or Dr. V for short. We'll talk to her about her background and the clinical side of this epidemic. And then we'll speak with Cliff and Steve about how they formed this innovative organization, Healthy MD, which provides people with access to STI testing kits. Have you checked out our website? There you can find all of our episodes and show notes. You can even listen directly on the site and catch up on any previous episode you may have missed. You can read our bios and see what we're up to. Also, we made it even easier to contact us. Just fill out the form on our homepage and click submit. We invite you to recommend guests and topics we should feature. So what are you waiting for? Go check us out at distrustanddisparities.com. Hello, Dr. Victor. We're going to jump right into it. Early in your healthcare path, you began working in the field of HIV prevention. You were selected to serve as a health educator in collaboration with the CDC while you were in college. Can you tell us more about this role and this experience? So uh, similar to what you see as far as the statistics today, we had similar statistics uh, in that time. I won't age myself. (laughs) (laughs) But um, let's just say that this epidemic has been growing for some time. And the CDC at that time collaborated with uh, family planning to stop the spread of HIV and AIDS in the younger population. So uh, they recruited a handful of leaders on campus to uh, put forth this mission. And what they did was they trained us on HIV, trained us on AIDS, and they trained us on risk factors. So imagine being 18 years old and you are learning a whole lot of risk factors, sexual risk factors you probably have never even heard of. So it was an alarming experience, but it was great learning experience. It taught me so much. It taught me not only about the medical field, it taught me about prevention, about public health prevention. And it taught me that if we can educate and test early in any population, including the college age population, that we can have better outcomes. People can be uh, utilize preventative measures such as condoms. People can even uh, utilize abstinence if they choose to. And at the same time, they can utilize um, safer sex practices get them into care if they're diagnosed, because even back then, uh, college students were being diagnosed at alarming rates. So it was a wonderful experience, and it was the start of my introduction. So HIV for me is home because it was my first introduction to healthcare. How was it having those conversations with your peers at that time, just about STIs and, you know, just getting tested and having safe sex? Well, I'll tell you, back then, Salt and Pepper had a song, Let's Talk About Sex, Baby. Yeah. And that was our song. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, Dr. So, B, I just want to let you know you just aged yourself. <laughs> you didn't want to age yourself. You, you, you kind of aged yourself. A great song, though, by the way. I know, I know. But I played it before every one of my presentations. And there was a few other, there was a few other um, rap songs that had positive messages, um, and we used them, and we used that as our opening. So I always had a little radio with me, and before any presentation, I used my music as my intro. And the music opened up the, the room for dialogue and conversation with this difficult subject. I also thought that the reason why, and the CDC was very smart about bringing uh, peer health educators in because teens and young adults, they listen to teens and young adults. Nobody wants yeah. to tell the, the campus nurse because we had a wonderful nurse on campus and a wonderful clinic, but nobody wanted to go into the clinic and tell someone that's probably the age of your mom that, you know, you've been engaging in these activities. It was so alarming, though, that a lot of people did not know that factors such as anal sex and oral sex were also risk factors for HIV and AIDS. So it was, one, alarming to me to learn that information, but then you'll see how much uh, misinformation that your peers had. Uh, people thought that getting tested exposed them to the disease at that time. So, you know... Um, just some challenges there and some barriers. A lot of people were fearful at that age, didn't want their parents to know that they were engaging in sexual activity. So like I said, it was great to hear peer to peer that, hey, you know what you just did last night, you might want to get tested. And um, people, yeah. we started to be leaders on campus where people would, let's say guys had multiple partners, they'll come to us and ask, can you give us condoms? So we ended up being the pharmacy, friend, counselor, everything in one, but a great experience. And I want to say that those statistics exist today. Mm -hmm. um, Healthy MD, one of our sister arms, uh, provide services in the college. And uh, we went to one campus in one week and had 20 HIV positive patients. These were all young adults in one week. And this just happened recently. So, you know, there's much cause and reason for us to continue this mission. Yes. Wow. And like we pointed out in the beginning, ages 15 to 24, they have the highest rates of contacting STIs and also HIV transmission. So this work is definitely needed and needs to be talked about more because it's it's happening. And, you know, college students, kids, they're afraid to have these conversations. And I think the peer to peer model is a great model to get people talking and just understanding what they need to do. Like there's prevention options, there's ways to get tested and there's medication. Mm -hmm. And I know this CDC program, it kind of sparked your interest in public health and HIV and STI testing. How did that begin and kind of work throughout your career and how you chose to go about moving in your career path? So um, I have to say that. So that was my introduction to healthcare, And um, I continued my path and went to college, went to grad school, and I started bedside clinical. So what that means is that I was actually at the bedside taking care of patients that were sick. But it's great because I really was committed and I am still committed to one-on-one -on -one care. But somewhere in between taking care of my patients that were sick, that I understood that if I could touch populations, I can always make it back to this patient. So the outcome of population health became intriguing to me, not just doing preventative care for just one patient, but touching those populations, whether it be women, whether it be underserved populations, but just populations at risk in general. So it, it further triggered my interest to prevention from a population health standpoint and to my love and passion for public health. 
wanting to talk about the medication PrEP, and PrEP stands for pre-exposure prolaxis and is a medicine that reduces your chances of getting HIV from sex or injection drug use. When taken as prescribed, PrEP is highly effective for preventing HIV, and PrEP can be either in pill form or through injections. But Dr. V, can you talk more about this medication and really dive into how it works? Just as mentioned, it is a prophylaxis drug that, and we have been, I have to say, so privileged to be one of the uh, clinics or one of the companies that support this initiative, this preventative initiative. So uh, PrEP works for people that are HIV negative, so you can't be positive. You come in, you get a, whether you come in or you go to the clinic or you have a test kit at home, you know your status. So the first thing is to know your status, know your HIV status. If you're negative, you then meet the basic requirements for this medication. Uh, PrEP prevents you from getting HIV and AIDS, which is so significant uh, now that we have this medication because people that are engaging in high-risk behaviors, they can get on PrEP and prevent the spread of this disease and actually prevent even contracting the disease. So PrEP, like I said, I call it the wonder drug because it is. Uh, I have patients that are married to spouses that are positive and they take PrEP every day and they say, well, they utilize PrEP and they have remained negative, even though engaging in unprotected sexual activity with their married spouse. So like I said, I call it the wonder drug. And for people that know that they're at risk, that's why education is so important. Because if we don't perceive risk, we don't understand that we should be getting tested and that PrEP is an option. You no longer have to wait for the diagnosis. You can get ahead of it. You could prevent the disease. Yes, I'm glad. And you talked about some of the misconceptions. Some people think that PrEP is a cure to HIV, but in fact, it's not. You need to get tested and confirm that you are negative. And then if you're engaged in high-risk sexual activities, you can take this medication. If you take it how you're supposed to take it, like regularly, it can help reduce your risk of contracting HIV. And we wanted to make sure we talked about this medication and who's eligible to get it. And you pointed out um, anybody who tests negative for HIV can be prescribed this medication. Yes. And how do you go about getting access to this medication? Do you need to go through your primary care doctor or can you go to um, any clinics? Like what's the easiest way for people to get access to this medication? So let's talk about barriers to health-seeking behaviors and barriers to even PrEP. Uh, There's been much research that suggests why African-American women or African-Americans in general are not utilizing PrEP uh, as much as their uh, counterparts of other races. And the reason why is because one of all these various uh, misperceptions, one is that uh, they don't perceive the risk, so they don't understand that they are at risk. Two, because they lack the education, they lack the knowledge of the disease and of this option. Uh, three, uh, barriers such as socioeconomic uh, reasons uh, prevent people from accessing care. They don't have insurance. They don't have access to health care. And those are just a few of the barriers. A company like HealthyMD, they have addressed this stigma. They have also made HIV preventative services like PrEP right at your fingertips in the comfort of, of your home. And that's why HealthyMD is so amazing in comparison to even clinical care. 
because it delivers testing in the comfort of your home. It delivers medications in the comfort of your homes. So there's no room for stigma. It breaks the barrier of socioeconomic uh, reasons or barriers. So um, like you said, it, 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 the disease is there. It's prevalent. There's 1.2 million people living with HIV and 13% of them don't know that they have it. So when we increase testing and we increase awareness and we increase the access to preventative medications, we stop the spread of this vicious disease. And some of the disparities that you're working to address, I'm going to read some of the statistics. Black people made up 14% of PrEP usage, but 42% of new HIV diagnosis. And is similar with the Hispanic Latinx community. They represented 14% of PrEP usage, but 27% of the new HIV diagnosis. Meanwhile, researchers, they found that white individuals represented 65% of PrEP usage, even though they only accounted for 26% of the new HIV diagnosis. And I love that HealthyMD is working to provide not only testing, but education. That's the key, education and also reaching out to the community and letting them know what's available. Because like you said, there's a lot of misconceptions and myths that still exist to this day, despite improvement and access and all this research that we have. Communities are still being left behind. And after COVID, we saw an extremely high uptick of STIs in the CDC They reported 2.5 million new cases of syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea last year. And syphilis infections alone may shot up 26%. And they said the number of new cases like this, it hasn't been seen since the 1950s. And I know we talked about like the Tuskegee syphilis study. I just find it crazy that the levels are rising so high and what is being done just to increase awareness of this rise and just encourage people to get tested? So, yes, we have seen a rise in STDs and STIs since COVID, and there's a variety of reasons. In addition to the rise in HIV and STD, we've seen a rise in opiates and drug use and drug abuse Mm. during the pandemic as well. And earlier on, I talked about high-risk behavior And high-risk behavior, it correlates with HIV and STDs. And the reason why is because when people are intoxicated, their judgment is impaired. They aren't necessarily thinking, oh, I should take PrEP or I should use a condom. That's just not an option for them in their mind at Mm -hmm. the time. They're too high to make informed decisions or they're too intoxicated to make informed decisions. So if you look at statistically the fact that um, those in uh, drug abuse rates rose so much during the pandemic, it gives way to understand just the, just how imp- how the impact and the correlation is between HIV, STDs, and drug abuse. Also, we saw, and if you recall, during the pandemic, people were so concerned about getting uh, COVID that no one took notice, even if they had a symptom for an STD or STI. It was all about if I'm sniffling, if I'm coughing, I may have COVID. So let me go ahead and get checked. Um, because there was a pandemic, people weren't accessing healthcare 
either. So you you couldn't even get a visit to your doctor for some time. Um, I know people that couldn't even get blood pressure medicine, let alone an STD test or treatment. So and 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 because public health, when we look at public health, the attention shifted, the funding shifted. Everything moved away from STD, infectious disease, and everything went towards funding, attention, media, everyone went, everything went towards uh, COVID. And as a result, people weren't getting tested. And if we're not getting tested, then we don't know that we have this deadly disease or diseases. Because I have to say, there are many STDs that don't present symptoms until later on. Syphilis is one of them. Syphilis, I've had patients that did not show symptoms for syphilis until they showed up years later with uh, neurological symptoms as a result of syphilis. I, I recall having patients that were in their 30s or 40s and they've had syphilis as teenagers, never got it treated, and they almost looked like they were geriatric patients because the impact that it took on their bodies as a result of failure to be diagnosed. So like I said before, um, when you have a, a, a scare, a public health scare like a pandemic, it really shifts the focus, but it doesn't mean that the STDs aren't there. They're there. They're just undiagnosed. So now we want to talk with Steve and Cliff, the founders of Healthy MD. And as we have pointed out, there has been a, an alarming uptick in STIs. And we want to bring them in to discuss how they have created this organization to address the stigma and also make safe sex cool and getting tested something that we all do, something that we all talk about. So Steve and Cliff, like Dr. V, you guys got started early working in the STI HIV treatment space pretty early. And you have an interesting story about how you got started. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? We got started right out of high school. Um, we threw parties in high school. The owner of the club owned a specialty HIV pharmacy and he begged us to come work with him. We went and worked with him. Didn't understand anything about um, pharmacy or healthcare. We thought we were going to throw parties for the rest of our lives and be the cool guys on South Beach throwing parties. That's what we thought. Um, and then what happened was he seen something in us that we didn't see in ourselves. You know, and we was all, we were very grateful um, to the grace of God gave us that opportunity, and we started working in the pharmacy. Steve is naturally. Uh, analytical operations guy. And I'm naturally a marketing personable type of guy. So I'm the people's person. Steve is the numbers guy. And it just happens to form and work out that way that we worked in a pharmacy that was dealing with HIV underserved patients, delivering medication to them and delivering care. And we fell in love with it. Steve is from Brooklyn. I'm from Boston. We're from underserved communities. We grew up without health care. So we knew what it was. And for us to be able to take care of this community in the way that we work, because this is the days that HIV was rampant. These are the days in 98, 99, 2000, where every HIV patient was on seven to 10 drug cocktails per month, you know, and it took a lot of work to take care of these patients. And that's how we got started in our career of dealing and taking care of the underserved community. That was pretty revolutionary, having a pharmacy specifically dedicated to the treatment of 
HIV and AIDS at the time. And you pointed out while working at this pharmacy, you quickly recognize some of the challenges that many patients face with just coming to the pharmacy due to a lack of transportation and also some of the shame and stigma with asking for medications to get treated for HIV and also um, sexually transmitted infections. Can you explain some of these like barriers that people face? First, I want to say thank you, ladies, for having us on the podcast. It's definitely a great opportunity. We appreciate it. Especially um, back then, the barriers, I mean, the, the community that we were servicing, we realized that you know, transportation was a big component, right? You figure they'd have to take a bus or figure out a way to get to the, to the clinic. Then they'd have to figure out a way to take a bus to the pharmacy. So we realized very early in our career, in order to get to our customers, we had to provide a different level of concierge, a different level of service. That's why um, back then we were delivering the medication, which was pretty unheard of. Back then, this is 98, 99. And again, we're aging ourselves. <laughs> but um, we realized very early in order for us to get, you know, get over some of those barriers, some of those um, obstacles for our community, that we had to provide a different level of care, meaning that we had to bring the services to them or provide some form of transportation in order to keep them in care. And then you also have to be a little bit of compassion for those communities as well, because we know that they deal with a lot of other social economic issues. So being able to have services or at least be able to refer them to services to help them, because if the person doesn't have rent or doesn't have food, they're not really, I mean, healthcare is typically the last thing that they, they, they care about. Unfortunately, in our community, unless it's broken or bleeding, we're not going to the doctor, right? So for us, um, trying to provide that level of concierge back then is what transitioned us to the position where we're in today and still carrying on those services to make sure we bring the services to the community, hence the reason why. Um, our test kits for Healthy MD are absolutely free and we ship them directly to the patients' homes. We're trying to eliminate any of those challenges and those barriers. Yes, that's wonderful. And we talk about on this podcast, health disparities is a multifactorial issue. You have to address everything. And like you said, you got to re- address your basic needs as far as like having a roof over your head, having food to eat. So sometimes picking up your medications might be the last thing. And if you know you have to catch a bus and do go out your way to get those medications, you might not do it. So recognizing those barriers, bringing the medication to the most vulnerable populations, it makes a difference. And you also build people's trust in the community. Absolutely. And eventually after working at this pharmacy, you built a solid reputation in the community of South Florida. And then eventually the CDC reached out to you guys with developing a strategy to reduce the alarmingly high rates of STIs in the African-American community. Can you tell us how this partnership began? Yeah. So like we spoke about with being in the pharmacies and being in the underserved community early in our career, we didn't go to college. So that was our school of hard knocks, right? Learning how to deal with our people, how to make sure that they get medication, stay compliant. These are the things that we've done over the years. Um, so in 2013, 2014, the CDC reached out to us um, and they had a new program that they was trying to roll out and they was trying to figure out how the hell do we maximize and penetrate the black and brown community? Because those, as Dr. V spoke about, those are the communities that's not being tested in, which means you don't know that infections are there because they're not being tested. Right. The white communities are getting tested. They go to the doctor. Right. This is something that they've learned and they've been because they've had the resources to do so. 
Mm-hmm. So they couldn't understand our community. We do understand our community. Um, so we took it upon ourselves with some help of the CDC, with some free test kits and such. And we started buying mobile clinics and putting together mobile clinics and putting them on the road. We started in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, um, Palm Beach, and then we went up to Tampa, Bonita Springs, and then we went all the way up to Jacksonville, Tallahassee, Orlando. And now we have 15 mobile clinics and eight brick and mortar clinics. Um, And the mobile clinics is the claim to fame, right? That's what kills the stigma when you could pull a mobile clinic at a homeless shelter and have them all come in there's no HIV on the van. There's no STDs on the van. There's no hep C on the van. It says nothing but free medical services. So all of our healthcare services are free. We make sure that they come into the van first and then they feel comfortable enough to speak to the physician or to the case manager about what the problems are. Hey, are you having sex? Are you having unprotected sense? Are you sharing needles? So on and so forth. These are the things that make them comfortable and make them trust us enough to now start having that real conversation so they could get tested and treated or be put on prep because they're living a riskier lifestyle. Absolutely. I mean, to to, to, to complete what Cliff was saying, there's education and access, right? That's the key. First, we have to make sure that, you know, we give people access to the healthcare, right? So hence the reason why we bring out the mobile clinics out to the community. And then, you know, back to what Dr. Victor was saying, then educating them on their risk factors and the reasons why they should be on PrEP or the reasons why you know, they're at risk. Um, so doing that uh, helped us realize that you know, the education and access is a key component to making sure that we help with some of those barriers. Hence the reason why um, we transitioned to Healthy ED because the company that Clifford is referring to is Independent Medical Group, which is the, in- the initial company that we launched trying to address these issues, primarily here in the state of Florida. So when we realized that Cliff had the great ideas, like how do we do such great work you know, nationwide? And Dr. 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 V was with us too. I mean, she's been managing that fleet of 15 mobile clinics and the hundred and somewhat employees that we have. And she's done a great job doing that. So fast forward, when we started thinking, how do we provide these same services nationwide? Hence the reason why we launched the Healthy MD platform, because we wanted to reach more, treat more, right? So how do we get to more people a lot quicker? And how do we provide that education and access? So with IMG, our clinics, we provide the free testing, the free you know, telehealth visits. We bring the mobile clinics out to the community. So that's very easily to do. But to be able to do that on a, on a grand scale, we had to launch Healthy Indeed, which is why we offer the test kits are absolutely free. The telehealth visits are absolutely free. And it's very simple at the comfort of your own home. So we try to give access to all. From having the mobile clinics and the brick and mortars, you realize there's a demand, there's a need. People were reaching out to you. How do we replicate this in other cities, other urban areas that are suffering and seeing an increase in STIs? So you created this online platform, Healthy MD. So can you tell us about when you launched and also um, tell us how the services work and what particular infections do you test for? Yeah, so we launched last month um, in April. Um, so we've been launched for about a month or so. We're very happy about the launch because HealthyMD.com, when you go on there, you can order a test kit. It ships to your home. You can test yourself in the comfort of your own home. Send it back. Your test results uploads in your portal. You have a telehealth visit where you see a physician and they write a prescription for you, whether it's an STD whether it's uh, HIV, whether it's hepatitis C or it's prevention HIV care. 
those are the modalities that we take care of today. LTMD is going to be a plethora of modalities, but today that's where we're starting because that's our business. That's what we understand. Um, and that's what we love to save lives. The HIV, STDs, hepatitis C are the modalities that we deal with today, but unfortunately the riskier behaviors um, contribute to a lot of other ailments, right? One of the things we realized very quickly is that behavioral health was another issue that kind of comes along with um, HIV and STDs, unfortunately, um, but people are leaving these at-risk behaviors. So Clifford is right. The, the, the platform is able to um, provide services for all modalities, but our focus today, based on the statistics and the numbers that you mentioned earlier, um, Jasmine, you see that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in the HIV space. So mm-hmm. we, we're, we're trying to do as much as we can in that, in that regard. Yes. And I think that's amazing. I did an internship where I worked with the needle exchange in Baltimore, where we were giving out free needles to people that were doing intravenous drugs. And we gained the substance users trust by getting, giving them needles to, it was called harm reduction to make sure that, you know, they're not ready to quit, but they're doing drugs safely. But then eventually when people were ready to quit, we were there, we had the services to get them into programs. So Healthy MD is a great way for people, they're coming to get treated for um, STIs, and then they're getting telehealth services, and then they can be connected with, you need to get a primary care doctor, you need to be seeing your GYN annually, you need to get a breast exam, you know, making sure this is the first step for them to take in control of their health. So this is, I love where you guys are going, and just addressing, you know, one issue, but you're eventually going to expand to be able to offer more services and just help people take better care of their selves. So I think that's great. Helping people get access. I mean, that's that's the key component, man. Just helping our community get access to these services. I mean, unfortunately, like I said before, I mean, unless it's broken or bleeding, we're not going to the doctor, right? So mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times some of these ailments can can get unserviced for years. And it's just simple antibiotic or something that can take care of it, right? So unfortunately, most times in our community, healthcare is not a priority for us. So trying to give people access. Yes. And I've worked in the emergency department. And when people come in for to get tested for sexually transmitted diseases, oftentimes they're waiting hours because, especially in urban areas, they're dealing with gunshot wounds and mm-hmm. different other chronic illnesses. So people get turned away from even just coming to emergency departments and even ambulatory care. So in since COVID, more people are comfortable with testing themselves at home with the kids and also receiving telehealth services. So you guys are coming in at a perfect time to um, let people know that you can also test yourself for STIs and also get um, treatment and prevention and education. Yeah, I think that it's a big opportunity um, for everyone, right? Um, if you have sex, you should get tested. But I think that the colleges, it's going to be huge in the colleges. And the reason why is from the statistics that you all spoke about. We have 25% of all STDs come from colleges and universities across the nation. And the reason why a lot of college students don't get tested at their STD clinics that's on the college campus is because of the stigma. Dr. V spoke about it earlier. She was able to save 15 or 20 lives by diagnosing their HIV and getting them in care um, from college. The reason why they just found out when we got there is because they wasn't, there was no stigma of them coming to get care with us, right? 
Um, but in the STD clinic on campus, it's the STD clinic. That's what it's called. You walk in there, everybody's looking at you and judging you and saying, hey, why are you in there? What did you go there for? Right. Whether it's negative or not, they don't care. You just exactly. walk in Exactly. But healthymd.com, you can order a test kit from your dorm room, get it. Uh, you could test yourself. You could ship it back and have a telehealth visit and have the medication shipped to you. And no one knows. No one's judging you. There's no mm-hmm. stigma attached to it. And we could just save more lives. And our goal is to save a million lives. So that's that's the start. HealthyMD.com. Yes. And we will we have the website in our show notes and we'll also have it on our social media pages of where you can go to healthymd.com. Very simple, straightforward of how to use those tests. Dr. Victor, could you tell us more about your specific role at HealthyMD as the chief clinical officer? And Jasmine did pull a quote that is from Stephen Clifford, quote, it means a great deal to have an African-American woman in our C-suite with Dr. Victor's level of ex- expertise, professionalism, and commitment on our team. As chief clinical officer, she streamlined our clinical operations and expanded our mobile unit efforts throughout the state of Florida. And then another quote is, we've already witnessed elevated efficiency within our clinics and expects Dr. Victor to continue that work. I believe that with her leadership and unique perspective, she will be able to help the company expand into new territories while servicing more patients. Before she answers, I just want to tell you, Dr. V has been a godsend. Lord knows we appreciate all the work that she's done. Trust me. Yeah, we are excited to to hear more about Dr. Victor's plan and her role in the company. And I just love how you guys shout her out and you have a black woman at the top and, you know, we'd love to hear For sure. And, and I, and I, and I want to just make a quick correction. She is the chief clinical officer, but she is also the president. We've been trying to get her to get a clinical officer you know, up under her to, um, to help her out, but we haven't located one yet, but she is actually currently the president. Yay. Just, 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 just to be clear, she's the best at both. So, as we would like to keep her at both, we know she has to have a life. So uh, yes. we're trying to we're trying to figure that one out. But go ahead, Dr. V. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. I wanted to say that it's easy to come in and you find a culture where the owners are uniquely themselves. They're passionate about saving lives, about saving lives of all communities and underserved communities, but they also recognize the need for services in the underserved and black and brown community as well. So it's exciting to come in and see that fire and that passion because it's contagious. You cannot come in with that energy. And anyone that comes in and they're dull, trust me, after a month of uh, that they've been with these owners, uh, Steve and Clifford, uh, they've shifted because you can't, it's like I said, it's contagious. It's a fire and a hunger to save lives. It's a fire and a hunger to touch lives, to get the word out there. So it's an amazing group of individuals and professionals to work with. Um, my unique role to IMG and Health EMD, I guide the clinical practice, but I also share that vision with the chiefs where I utilize a lot of statistical data to direct the people that we serve, to understand how do we meet and touch more lives. Uh, Chief Clifford Knights just said the second said that um, a million lives is our goal. So how we get to a million lives is by evidence-based, knowing what communities are at risk, 
who's hurting, who needs our service. And what much of that data has told us is not only who needs the service, but how do we get it to them? How do we get past the stigma? How do we get past the embarrassment of going to a clinic? And your answer is Healthy MD. You have uh, testing at your fingertips in the comfort of your home. You have treatment. You have preventative measures in the comfort of your home. There's no excuse to not know your status. There's no excuse to not take the test, take control, and know your options for prevention. And that's what makes this company so amazing. It's been an honor to serve. It's been an honor to lead. It's been an honor to provide care to underserve. It's been an honor to see that last year we provided 12,000 treatments at one of our other companies, 12,000 treatments in underrepresented communities. And I don't take that lightly because um, hospital systems have told me that they don't even treat as many HIV or hepatitis C patients as we do. So I commend this team. I commend the work that we're doing. And there's more to be done because we're a million lives as our goal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And the one thing, too, I just want to add to that, too. I mean, we keep talking about education and access. The fact that even with our um, brick and mortar mobile clinics and even with Healthy and Deep, the services are absolutely free, right? So we knew that that was a challenge from our past experience in the pharmacy days when we first started. And Dr. V, you know, uh, uh, you know, recommended that sentiment as well, coming from her space and her background. We knew that um, some of those financial barriers is one of the biggest challenges. If people don't have insurance, they figure, I don't have insurance. I can't even go and take care of my health care. So making sure that the services were absolutely free for the consumers was a very big component to what we do. Now, obviously, I mean, if they do need to get treatment, we do... Um, help navigate through all of those different social economic issues. Like I mentioned, we help them try to procure insurance if they do need one, if they want some. We help them to try to find housing and all these different things. But the services are absolutely free. So we at least eliminated the financial barrier for people that want to get tested. Yes. And we are so excited to have everyone on Dr. V sharing her clinical experience and also Cliff and Steve, you guys don't have a healthcare background, but you're dedicated to addressing health disparities and stigma. We want our audience to know, like, if you have a problem or recognize um, an issue in your community, you can take those steps to address it. And also, if you're working in healthcare, um, like Dr. V, there's something that you can do to help those in your community that are underserved. There are different ways to go about advocating for a change that needs to be done. So we're excited to have all three of you guys on to share your unique perspective and just how you're prioritizing the most underserved populations. And you're looking at the issue from multiple different angles, from socioeconomic looking at college kids and addressing barriers on all fronts. And you have an amazing goal of targeting several different communities. I, I just want to say one last thing, because um, Jasmine, you mentioned the um, uh, needle exchange that you work with in the past. Um, Cliff and I had a stint where we were doing some testing at a needle exchange as well. I just want some of your listeners to know, because Cliff and I get questions and text messages and emails and DMs all the time for people all over the country wanting to know how they can participate and how can they help. I just want to tell you that, um, we'll tell your listeners that I mean, you can always partner with you know some other local community advocates, other community people who are doing something similar or something um, uh, in the same realm, like that needle exchange. We can't boil the ocean like Clifford like to say, we can't do it all. We know that we can do our part. So 
yes, we can't handle all issues. We know that when it comes to STIs, we can help and deal with, you know, trying to help the, the, the barriers and disparities in that sector. So don't think that you need to boil the ocean. You can't do it all. We can't save everyone. I know we're trying to save a million lives, but partnering up with people like yourself to spread the message and, um, and get the awareness out there. Like I said, you know, it's education and access. So what Healthy and that's what we're trying to do. And being on platforms like this is what's going to help spread that education. So don't be afraid to partner up with other people. Don't be afraid to, you know, to talk to other community um, advocates to see what you can do. Um, with Healthy and we're always willing and, and looking to partner up with other people to provide the services and give education and access. Yes, I love that. We talk about a variety of disparities on this show. So if any of those issues speak to you and we highlight organizations working to address systemic issues. There's multiple things you can do to support, just a simple follow, a like, a share, and donations. Those things make a difference. And even just like volunteering your time. So there's multiple ways you can participate and get involved. And that's what we like to use our platform for, to share the wonderful work that people are doing and amplify the issues that are affecting our communities. If you are enjoying this episode, you should consider buying us a coffee. Yes, a coffee. That small gesture will help us continue to create quality episodes and content. Click the buy me a coffee link in the show notes or check out our website at distrustanddisparities.com. So we're going to move into some rapid fire questions. So just say the first thing that comes to your mind. We want to ask, what was your first experience with a health disparity or inequity? And it could be something that you or someone close to you experienced that really stuck with you. I think um, back to Clifford's point, uh, what Clifford mentioned earlier, as far as our first introduction into healthcare was in the pharmacy. Um, when we were in high school and we were working at this pharmacy, the health disparity was very, very clear how um, other communities had access and were able to get access to whether it's a clinic or whether it was a pharmacy to get the medications to help suppress the HIV virus back then. And that pharmacy we worked with back in you know, 97, 98 had to be innovative in their thinking as, a, as it relates to the delivery aspect. And again, today we think of all of this Uber Eats and all these different companies that delivery was just, it's just part of our life today. But I mean, um, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. I mean, you know, trying to get your groceries delivered or medication delivered wasn't wasn't an option. So trying to be innovative from back then was like the first um, introduction to like, wow, these people are sick and, and can't get taken care of just because of the lack of transportation. And that's just one little social economic issue that was like, okay, that 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 shined a light on some of the challenges that I seen our community had. Um, and then obviously the financial component, simple things like your copayment. If you couldn't afford a two dollar copayment, now you can't get your medication because of a $2 or $3 copayment, right? So that was, I think, my first introduction into like, wow, these healthcare disparities, even though we were being affected at a higher rate, but we didn't have the access just because of something as simple as a low copayment or transportation. Did you have maybe a particular moment, Dr. V, where, you know, you can pinpoint your first experience with a health disparity? 
Yes. Um, working in a clinical setting, um, we read all the time that there's cultural biases as it relates to certain groups of individuals when they're in care, and they call it provider biases as well. So that means physicians don't understand their patients and vice versa. And I'm working in a huge health system one time, and I got to see this case after case where uh, patients came in with from so many different cultural backgrounds, different languages. No one cared to assess those barriers. And so patients were coming back with, okay, let's say they were diagnosed with diabetes. They were coming back with, after getting education, they were coming back doing the same risky behaviors that they were doing prior to their diagnosis. And it became clear when during visits that the barrier was still there. The provider never understood the patient, didn't, weren't sensitive to the language differences, weren't sensitive to the cultural differences. And having cultural sensitivity and understanding the cultures you serve is important because um, there's Asian cultures that look at health and health-seeking behaviors different. Um, there's Native Indian American cultures that look at things very different. The black and brown community, we're so diverse that we look at things very different from a cultural standpoint. We look at care different. We look at communication different. So the way that you communicate with your populations, it impacts the disparities. It, it impacts the outcomes. Um, I am culturally diverse. I'm multilingual personally. So I've been in a space where I've had to translate for patients and, and even translate not just language, but translate culture. So, and, and what it impacts. So, you know, sometimes people may not speak, they may speak English, but because of our unique backgrounds, um, we believe different things. Yes, that's so true. Um, people are not a monolith and you need to get to the root of the issue and the barriers that people are facing, or they're just going to keep coming in and getting sicker and sicker. And the next question we wanted to ask, what advice would you give to individuals that have identified a specific healthcare issue or disparity, and they want to take the first steps to addressing that issue? And I know Stephen Cliff, you guys don't have a professional background in healthcare, but you are doing amazing work with tackling a major health disparity. I would say um, because we're natural entrepreneurs, it was from the grace of God that put us in a position to be in healthcare. I don't know if we necessarily chose healthcare. I think that we fell in love with the work, right? Uh, so if you if you love the work, like obviously Dr. V loves the work. She started in college um, working with the CDC to stop the spread. So if you love the work, you have to do research and see what part of it you want to be involved in. Right. Um, public health is hard because in public health, you're dealing with the most vulnerable population and the hardest population to make consistent. Right. Most clinics that do what we do. Um, which is test and treat for HIV, hepatitis C, and STDs, they do it for the LGBTQ community because they have jobs, cars, homes, family, phone numbers. Um, for the black and brown community, unfortunately, um, you know, if we have substance abuse issues in our community or we have, we, we're, we have homelessness or whatever the case may be, we are very difficult to deal with. And Steve and myself 
figured out because of the passion that we have for our community, we figured out a way to really, really dig deep and take care of our community, right? So we put mechanisms in place to take care of them. So I would say that you have to figure out what part of public health you love and figure out how you can get involved and, and partner up. First things first, Steve and myself, we partnered up um, with some other organizations in the beginning and we got our feet wet. We learned the industry, the ins and outs of the industry, and then we figured out how we could do it for ourselves. Absolutely. That was great. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, if you want to get started, you definitely have to find some other people in the community. Like you mentioned earlier, we can't do it all. I mean, I'm sure there are other people in the community that are doing some portion of that. So if you want to get started, it's typically best to try to find an organization um, that's in that community that's either providing some type of you know treatment or, provide, or outreach and then just get involved somehow. Once your feet gets in the door, it's like Jasmine, you're saying you're going to the needle exchange, right? So you're doing your part testing while the needle exchange is doing their part trying to take care of the drug usage, right? We can't do it all. Find a, a liaison in that community and you know, get in touch with the Department of Health. The Department of Health is always looking for partners to help stop the spread and to help stop some of these um, uh, the stigma. So, yeah, definitely find you know, partners in the community that you can work with. Dr. V, for healthcare professionals working at the bedside, how do they speak up and, you know, advocate for their patients and, you know, get started? It takes a lot to speak up and some healthcare professionals, they may need some advice. All right. So I'd first like to say that, um, you know, when I think I love to, to talk prevention all day long. So I believe that we could either be a part of the problem or the solution. So if our solution is that we don't have enough representation in uh, professional in the professional space, like doctors, nurses, uh, radiology technicians, be a part of the solution and not the problem. So if we know that this problem exists, that we don't have representation, then more of us need to go to school. Go to school, get involved, volunteer in those communities. That's the first thing. So volunteering in your community, I think, is a big thing. And then volunteering in the hospital. Um, you can be a candy stripe uh, person. I don't want to say girl because you don't have to be a girl to be a candy stripe. But there's always opportunity to volunteer in communities of need, in clinics like our clinics, in the hospitals. So volunteer and figure out where in that space you want to be and be a part of that solution. Now, if you are a provider and you're already in that space, you're, you work at a clinic, you work at a hospital, and you're seeing that there's some injustice or disparities, you have an opportunity to be a part of that solution also. One, I believe in patient advocacy. There is no hospital, no clinic, no space that can penalize you for patient advocacy. Advocate for your patient. You know, when you know what's right and it feels right or wrong right here, if it doesn't feel right and if it's going to impact the patient in a negative way, or even if or you can see with your eyes, the patient doesn't even know that it will impact them negatively, but you know, it's your heart. It's your conscience. Be an advocate. Now, if you want to know what to do as an advocate, there's some channels you can take in the hospital. Every hospital has an administrator. Ask to see the administrator. Ask to see the patient rights advocate. Every hospital, or at least most of them, have a patient rights advocate. There's an ethics committee at most hospitals as well. So what happens when you escalate matters to a patient advocate? They have to investigate. And they have to take your word just as they have to take a patient or a family's word. 
A lot of patients, though, especially in underrepresented communities, they have no idea that they have a voice. They could dislike the service they got at the hospital. They could dislike the way the doctor spoke to them. They could feel misjudged or mistreated, but they don't know that they have a voice, that they can ask for that administrator and voice their concerns. And an investigation has to be launched because every uh, complaint or grievance has to show that the end result, there's a whole system in place where you have to in investigate all grievances. So I'd like to just make sure that, you know, not only employees or potential employees know that they have rights, but any listener today that may have been in a healthcare system and feel that service uh, services were unjust and they were mistreated, that they do have a voice and they should ask for administration right away. Absolutely. I, I would second that too, Dr. V. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that whatever the doctor or the nurse or whomever says is, is golden, right? They don't understand that they do have rights. Um, unfortunately, less than 5% of the providers nationwide are black and brown, right? So you talk about disparities. If you don't see the provider that looks like you and that lack of, um, of understanding and communication that Dr. V spoke about earlier, as far as cultural differences, language differences, you're not going to, sometimes you're not going to get that level of care that you probably need. And if you don't think that um, you can question what a doctor says, then whatever that physician says that doesn't even understand your culture, understand the language, or understand some of those barriers, you're just going to take it for face value, not knowing that you can actually speak up for yourself. Yes, you guys gave wonderful advice and wonderful tips. Everyone has a voice. You can speak up and call attention. You can use your different skills and talent to bring awareness. And the last question, working in this field, it can be very, it takes a lot of work and you guys are giving it a thousand percent. So what hobbies or activities do you have that, you know, keeps you sane and just re-energizes you? Well, for me, I'm a, um, I'm a chess player. So I like to play, I mean, I like to play chess. I mean, I have two girls, so my, I mean, I have two daughters, and obviously, like I said, my, I said earlier, offline, married for sixteen years, so we try to travel. My girls do all types of activities, so my kids and family kind of keep us busy enough. Um, but um, you, know, you know, we try to you know work out and do you know regular stuff. Try to you know make sure you stay healthy, but you know we travel as much as we can. Try to make sure that my kids see a different um, lifestyle than I've than I've seen. Like I said, we we grew up in very humble beginnings. So as far as hobbies, I, mean, I play chess, we play golf, you know, we, you know, we, we love sports. Cliff will tell you he has four boys and Cliff's like Coach Carter over there with his basketball team. So we do a lot of a lot of those types of things. Yeah, like Steve said, basketball is is my thing. My boys are, um, thank God they're really good. Yeah, they didn't um, get that talent and, from you though. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, they didn't. I used to beat Steve ass back in the days on the court. Um, <laughs> but, but no, um. But so basketball, but um, definitely to Steve's point, traveling, you know, making sure our kids are well-rounded, not well-rounded um, so they could just see a different light, you know, um, you know, and they see stuff that they've learned about. Because I believe traveling is education, um, even though they said don't let school get in your way of education. I believe um, traveling is education. Maybe you might miss school, um, but you are learning. You know, we went to Egypt last year and for the boys to learn about the pyramids and, and all of us, I'm 44 years old and to learn about the period pyramids your whole life, but never seeing it and never having the opportunity. You know, my youngest is 11, 12 years old and he was able to see it. And I told him when we were there in front of the pyramids, I said, I'm 44. This is the first time I'm seeing it. You're 11. This is the first time you're seeing it. 
you're blessed. You're in a position to be blessed and to see something that everybody is talking about in all the books, but it's rare that you get to actually stand in front of it and see it. Um, so that's basically what keeps us going, what keeps us pushing to be able to, um, and not only our kids, but we also do this for other kids. My oldest son owns a podcast called Young CEO Project and teaching high school kids and college kids how to be CEOs, you know, because this is what he learned when he was in high school and, and college. So he wants to give that back. Um, so all of these different things, this, this is what keeps us going. And what about you, Dr. V? A few things. I first want to say that it's never too late to um, to develop a um, a talent, or it's never too late to explore a new um, hobby. Um, I I currently play tennis, but I started doing ice skating about maybe three years ago. And um, I have to tell you, first couple time on the ice, I went down pretty hard. You know, <laughs> when you're about seven and six. Wait, wait a minute, Doctor V. We can't be having you ice skating here. Again. We need you. Wait a minute. So, no, Steve, don't worry. I'm we got an that. elevator, so her wheelchair <laughs> can pull into the elevator. We're good to go. Don't worry about it. So I am past the stage of falling. You know, so but um, I'm not out there in my ballerina dress yet, but. I do enjoy it, but I do have to say that I get a rush with tennis. Um, after the long week, I'm excited to be out there. And it's something about hitting those balls, you know, getting out on the court. Um, but it's never too late. I actually um, started playing chess uh, like Chief Steve about a year ago, and I love it. Um, it's analytical, and um, I'm not a pro yet, but I enjoy it. Um, so just light things like that, um, reading when I'm not reading a, a medical journal, um, I like to read um, journals. I will not tell you the types of journals, but I do like to read. <laughs> but um, yes, no hot Stevie novels, no. <laughs> but um, I just want to say that. So yeah, so you're never too old to exp- explore, but having that balance, like the chief said, um, traveling, it's important to have that, to, you know, that exposure to different things. Thank you, Steve. Cliff and Dr. V for coming on our show. And also thank you for the amazing work that you're doing. We love to amplify organizations working to dismantle disparities and improve the lives of the most underserved communities. And we want to point out that the only way to avoid STIs is by getting tested frequently and using protection such as condoms and dental dams every time you engage in sexual activities. And the Healthy MD team has made it even easier to get tested from the comfort of your own home. So tell a friend to tell a friend. Everyone knows somebody that can use this information. So share healthymd.com and also this episode with those closest to you. Because like we said, the goal is to save a million lives and let's get behind it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to suggest a topic we should discuss or share your own personal story, email us at distrustanddisparities at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at distrustanddisparities and on Twitter at distrustpod. Thank you.